0: This is Medicaid Leadership Exchange, a podcast where Medicaid directors and other guests get frank about what it's like to steward the nation's largest health insurance program. 80 million or one in four individuals in the U.S. receive health care through Medicaid and the Children's Health Insurance Program. Medicaid agencies administer a complex web of programs. Listen in as we explore some of the challenges leaders in Medicaid navigate and their top priorities to deliver services and build health
1: hello and welcome to the medicaid leadership exchange i'm your host gretchen hammer by now we have all heard of the great resignation, the great reorganization and all of the large changes that are going on in the workforce across our country. And the public sector has been impacted by those same trends. Some recent national survey indicate that over 30% of public sector workforce have worked through the pandemic who have worked through the pandemic are considering changing their jobs. They cite stress, fatigue and burnout. We also know that the public sector is facing a wave of retirements as the individuals who've worked for numbers of years are facing uh, the opportunity to retire. And that public sector work can be highly technical. It involves navigating federal and state rules, regulations, complex budgeting. So, recruiting to the sector is also a challenge. We know, though, that leaders who are faced with these challenges are not just trying to go back to the way things used to be. As we come through the pandemic, they're really looking to see what the next structure of our public sector workforce should look like. And so today I'm really thrilled to talk to uh, Liz Matney and Phil Burrell, two Medicaid leaders who are going to share with us how they're working through and thinking about these workforce challenges in their state. We also, of course, are going to be joined by Mark Larson from the Center for Healthcare Strategies, who will close out our podcast today by lifting up the leadership lessons and challenges that Liz and Phil share with us. So today, let's go ahead and just jump right in. Liz, I'm going to ask if you could introduce yourself, and then Phil will allow you to introduce yourself, and then we'll get to our first question.
0: Go ahead, Liz. Thank you for having me, Gretchen. Really appreciate it. Uh, my name is Liz Matney, and I am the state's director uh, for Medicaid in Iowa. I've been here since June of 2021, so really hopping in at the tail end of the pandemic, but previously uh, had a stint with the governor's office during the pandemic, and before that was with the Medicaid agency as well, so it's nice to be home.
2: My name is Phil Burrell. Uh Deputy Administrator here for the Division for Healthcare Financing and Policy out of the great state of Nevada. Um, Been here with the team for three years, uh, just loving all this work. I actually came from outside, from private sector, where I worked a lot with hospitals and health systems and worked across Medicaid and other consulting engagements, things like that. But uh, definitely a a different side and an exciting and uh, very challenging side. So, looking forward to the conversation today.
1: Great. So, let's pick up on that, Phil. You've had this chance to work in the public sector and in the private sector. You know, as you look at and think about the challenges you all are facing in Nevada with workforce, to work in the state agency, to work in eligibility offices, so, what feels unique, or what is unique about the workforce challenges that you're facing as a public sector now?
2: Well, I think there's a few work, few challenges that specifically stand out to me. Um, I, I, but I think there's some opportunities with this too. Uh, I'll start about with a couple of challenges for us here in Nevada. We, we definitely have seen uh, a lot of resi- resignations and a lot of challenges related to the, like you said before, Gretchen, the Great Resignation, um, as folks have. You know, dealt with the turbulence of the pandemic, uh, folks have decided on making decisions for their lives that are the best scenario for their lives, uh, whether it's retirement, taking a break pause some very hard demanding work, or, or just kind of rethinking, you know, life strategies. So we've definitely, as well as I'm sure many other states have and other places around the world have, had a time to really step back and think through, you know, what are the changing landscapes for our division, for our department as a whole here under Director Willie, and been able to get a chance here to kind of rethink what our future will be with our workforce and, and those challenges that we're working through right now.
1: How about in Iowa, Liz? What are you seeing in your workforce challenges and how are they unique to the public sector? I think that
0: many of the challenges are very similar, but like Phil said, There are a lot of great opportunities here too. Um, As we have seen individuals make some different choices to retire during the pandemic, we are also seeing great resiliency within our workforce uh, in learning how to adapt more quickly, to take on bigger challenges. And we are also seeing that passion for the work really shine through. So people have reached have a number of folks that have reached retirement age and are really just sitting in place and trying to write it out until we get to a spot where they feel like the program is at a steady place where they can let go. But that gives us some great opportunities in planning retirement and succession planning a little bit differently and get ahead of it a little bit more. So, of course, with workforce right now, there are a lot of challenges, but we are constantly framing it in terms of opportunities as well.
1: Great. So I want to pick up on that word that you used, resiliency, because we can certainly focus on the people who have left and the the gaps that remain. But you really are talking importantly about how do you support the people left doing the work? And often more work than they uh, than they did when you were fully staffed. So what kinds of things have you done to support resiliency and to really bring um, protection and love and caring, if you will, to the people that continue to uh, be at the state agency?
0: It really has revolved a lot around culture change. And some of that culture change is as simple as saying, it's okay to have open and honest conversations about where your challenges are are. And it's okay to say we have so many priorities on the plate right now that we can't take on another. This hasn't been something that we have typically normalized in the past with our Medicaid agency. If someone tells you to do something, you go do it. What we try to do is frame it in terms of we can't get to it in this time frame, but this is when we can't get to it. We've also been really fortunate in Um, being able to hire some additional staff, so to grow our team a bit, uh, really unprecedented for our Iowa Medicaid agency. So we've hired a number of new folks as well. And being able to provide some additional support to the individuals that have been with Medicaid throughout the years has been very, very critical, and it's improved morale a lot. The um, transition with these new staff is also a great opportunity for knowledge transfer and mentoring among some of our senior staff to our new staff. And it creates a different sense of ownership and pride in what they do and really being part of creating a sustainable program for all of our future selves. Terrific. Thanks, Liz. Phil, I wanted to turn to you. I know that you are uh, uh,
1: very involved in the budget in in your state agency or in your division. And that, you know, some of what this uh, has also created is vacancy savings, right? So you have the opportunity to be a little more flexible with the people that you hire, but also having to be truthful to stakeholders and the legislature that, you know, we just don't have capacity. Liz, as you said, we're going to have to prioritize and, and put things on a calendar and, and schedule them out. So Phil, as you've been working through all of these different components, what have you found that is supporting sort of the resiliency and um, the support really that that the state agencies need right now as we're working through these
2: challenges? Well, Gretchen, I think you hit a lot of great points. Uh, you highlight a lot of great points right there. And uh, I want We'll dive into all of them but kind of like what liz was saying earlier and what we're really diving into right now are those challenges and for me and as you were kind of pointing out right there those fiscal challenges that are really at the high level and really at a big level for a lot of individuals in a lot of states uh for me it's it's budget right so contractual staffing has its opportunities but it also has its challenges you know the training and development things to that effect can. Be beneficial, but also a bit of an issue when you don't have someone that's going to be permanent. What we've also kind of learned through this work is kind of an opportunity that's developed prior to the pandemic, but is really galvanizing grown uh, through Director Whitley, our, our head of the Department for Health and Human Services, on really taking a step forward, a uh, large step forward with our division and our sister agencies on diversity, equity, and inclusion. We historically have not been great in that. we've got a long ways to go. We've got some antiquated, I would say, policies, things that we've got to develop from, grow on, but we've also got to take a better look at where we're going. And so by focusing on DEI and, and those efforts, it's giving us some opportunities to think more about how we address staffing challenges, but also growing in a more productive but beneficial future that can be financially beneficial as well. There's plenty of studies out now talking about Uh, When you focus on diversity and equity inclusion within your workforce, you will see long term gains from your workforce, you'll see sustainability, you'll see promotions in the right places. Uh, Recruiting becomes a word of mouth inside game at that point where folks will want to be a part of your agency or division. So we've been thinking about being more collaborative towards sustainability practices by utilizing and growing from our DEI initiatives.
1: Terrific, yeah, thank you for bringing that up. I know uh, I wanted to to explore that during our conversation, but also Liz, I wanted to pick up on your sense of passion, right? Um, As we've all been through the pandemic, really finding work that is passion led or that gives you the chance to feel like you're helping people um, can be really important. So uh, I wanted to pick up on both of those. Are you all finding in your recruitment efforts, I think Phil, you were alluding to this, but just to call it out for for the listeners, Are you finding that highlighting, you know, the passion part of the job description, the chance to be part of an equity and equitable environment and an environment that's prioritizing, you know, opportunity for everyone. Are you finding those are helpful in your recruiting work? Certainly you've mentioned for people currently staffing the agencies, um, that's wonderful. But what about for recruitment? Are you
0: finding that to be effective? As we're looking at hiring Uh, new folks within our agency. We certainly do lead with our mission and our culture changes. At the end of the day, we as a Medicaid program do tremendous good for the state in which we live in. And all the individuals that come to our our, our agency, as well as all of the potential candidates that we interview, have skill sets and passions of their own. And it's so critical to ask those questions up front. What are you passionate about? What do you want to do? How do you think that you can make a difference? Because at the end of the day, you want to give people the voice to be able to specifically point that out and anchor to it, but also empower them and provide them the opportunity to live in an empowered environment where they can use their passion to promote the good that we all do. Terrific. Thanks, Liz. Phil?
2: Preach, Liz. Preach. I, can't, I can only 100% agree with that. Uh, I like to brag about our staff in our, at the division and at the department level. We've got a lot of folks that I call uh, best in class. They're here because they're passionate about the work, and they're passionate about public service. So they've been sticking it out with us through this pandemic as such to make sure they not only show that they're trying to give back, To our community, but you know we're all dealing with this, and here's how they feel they can do the best job to help others. So I I 100% agree with you, Liz. We focus on our mission, vision, and values to really drive forward a lot of our efforts, and our staff are a great reflection of that.
1: Looking to the future, you know you all are doing amazing things to stabilize, to make sure knowledge transfer is happening as you're anticipating retirements, championing your best in class. I love that your best in class staff, but are you really? working to rebuild the agency like it was in January of 2020? Or have you all spent some time reimagining what our agency is going to look like in you know, January of 2023? Are you hybrid, work in and out? Are you smaller? Are you bigger? What, what are you seeing as the future of your workforce? I know we're still in the choppy middle here, and it's probably going to stay choppy, especially as we go through the unwinding of the public health emergency. But you know, once we come out and and things smooth, the water will be smooth at some point. Um, What are you seeing as the structure for your agency um, that's different than maybe it was before this?
0: Well, we certainly don't want to go back to pre-pandemic conditions. I mean, it was great before, but what we have learned through the pandemic is we can adapt and there are many ways that we can work and work effectively that we were not given a chance to do before. So there are a large number of folks that work hybrid or 100% virtual today. They're doing a fantastic job, still building coalitions, still communicating, still meeting their project milestones. And they're also maintaining a really strong work-life balance and flexibility where they can uh, have some simple perks like driving their kids to school, which is priceless for some individuals. And so I really don't foresee that changing uh, as we move forward past the pandemic, whenever that does officially end. (laughs) But um, just some other things to keep in mind, Uh, we have really adjusted the way in which we work with our external partners as well. Uh, One of the benefits that we have seen really clearly is that we have a lot of community-based partners uh, that are willing to help uh, at the drop of a hat. And so leveraging on uh, those resources that we worked hard to cultivate during a public health emergency and move those forward towards our strategic vision for the next few years is just an incredible gold mine uh, to tap into. Terrific. Yeah, people have mentioned that in a variety
1: of these podcasts that the chance to go virtual helped with stakeholder engagement in really incalculable ways. Uh, More people could participate if you live in big states like like you do and like I do. You know, you could really get more diverse voices, more rural participation. So
0: I'm glad that you've seen that in Iowa.
1: That's exactly
0: right, Gretchen. Um when we look at diversity, equity, and inclusion as one of our core values as a Medicaid agency, we see a lot more Medicaid member participation in virtual sessions. You know, it's easier um, to get to. They don't have to be worried about transportation or childcare or the costs of making it to a meeting that is outside of their own community. All they have to do is is plug into. Their computer that's in their own residence.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna completely agree with Liz again on this one. Um, for us here in this state, we've seen about a 30-35% increase in caseload from the pandemic. Now I know we'll have the an unwinding and that process that'll take place, but we don't expect to see all of that fall apart. We actually expect to see a lot of individuals probably be on, on our road going forward. So kind of what you were already kind of highlighting earlier, Gretchen, we're gonna see changes and we're adapting to those changes now. Um, During our last session, it was very healthcare focused. Um, We've got about 40 bills that we've been implementing from our 81st Special Session last year. So we know there's a lot of work and a lot of transitions that we've been working through and towards for, I would say, more of a brighter future. Uh, The pandemic has helped us with advancing telecommunications and advancing more on the side of communications in general, actually, I would admit to as well. Not to do plugs for Teams or Zoom or anything else, but those applications have made it a lot smoother for us to communicate uh, in a state where we've got, you know, urban, in like Las Vegas, Reno area, and then we've got more rural, well, maybe like Carson City area, but then we've got Frontier, um, where we've got a lot of tri- uh, tribal lands. And a 45-minute flight from north to south Nevada is an eight-and-a-half-hour drive. I mean, there is a lot of disparity here that the tools and resources that we've been now using come to our advantage with better addressing stakeholders, uh, better addressing uh, and working with our vendor population and everyone else is helping us with our contracts and projects for getting out services to our recipients Better working with our provider community and more, most importantly, connecting better with our recipients. So with the unwinding process, with everything else that's to come, uh, we're fully taking advantage of these resources um, we went pretty much at the start of the pandemic full uh, without going in office. Now we switched to a little bit of some parts hybrid, but for the most part still leveraging most folks out of the office using the telecommunication, telecommuting plat- platforms. and That's been more beneficial to us. Um, it's actually been a bit of a uh, selling point for us as, a, as an agency and as a department, because we've been able to have that ability to help our staff be a little more flexible through turbulent times while also being able to keep up with productivity and ensure we're meeting our deadlines and deliverables to get care scare services out the door as fast as possible. So I think we've seen some advantages through the course of our learning experiences from the pandemic um, and telecommuting and using that for advancing our communication processes with our different stakeholders has been most important.
1: Terrific. Well, we're coming up on the end of our time together. This conversation has gone very quickly. You know, one of the, Hallmarks, in my opinion, of great leadership is is optimism, and my goodness, you two are more optimistic about these workforce challenges than I've seen, and have really highlighted in our conversations today like this, there are diamonds here in this rough we have found and that's where our conversation was just going. Before I turn it over to Mark, though, for his final uh, reflections. I wanted to just make sure you all had the chance if there was anything else that you're doing in your state. Or, really, a key uh, takeaway that you want the listeners to know about in terms of how you're thinking about workforce, what you're doing. Um, There's anything that our natural conversation didn't get to, to give you the chance. So, Phil, I'll start with you if there's anything that you just want to make sure you get to share, um, and then Liz, and then we'll turn it over to Mark.
2: Sure. Um, I think I started on this earlier and I can talk hours and hours and hours on DEI and the importance of that work. And I'll I'll save you guys ears for this conversation for future ones uh, and and talk about that at another place. But that has really been, I think, our opportunity that we want to best take advantage of. It has not been easy these last couple of years, and we are not through this pandemic. But as you were saying, Gretchen, there there's some opportunities here with regards to all the challenges that we've worked through. And I do think that is one of the biggest opportunities for us here at this state. Um, we've got our share of challenges across the state. We've got plenty of vacancies, uh, not just in our department or division, but across the entire state. And we are going through the rough like everyone else. But what I do think is, the opportunities that have come from this are there, there's no cap to that at this point and so while it's challenging and people are working tooth and nail and late hours and hard work to get things done and out the door and really take care of our community there is a there's an end point to all of that which is great so once we get over this hump you know getting to that next level and being able to take advantage of the lessons we've learned uh as a department as a division i think are going to be uh Show, showcase tenfold afterwards.
0: Thank you so much, Phil. Liz? Well said, Phil. We've always had to be really creative in some of our hiring in Medicaid pre-PHE. Uh, we're not always having the luxury of being able to hire Medicaid experts into Medicaid agencies. That's really something that you have to grow. And I would just say amidst this this workforce uh, environment that we're currently in, um, where people have the luxury of being very picky about where they're going to. We really look at transferable skills in new and different ways, and we really try to sell all of these benefits that we've accumulated during the, the public health emergency, like the work Um, environment flexibilities, the the relationships that we've built, these uh, additional connections that we have with our public health partners and other state agencies to really make broad sweeping changes that are exciting. I feel like we're on the kind of edge of the frontier in some respects to really having pretty big monumental changes. in our state Medicaid program. And it's just exciting work. And I I think we have a lot of folks on our interview panel that see that enthusiasm and excitement too, and that lures them in, at least I hope. Well, I can hear the enthusiasm and the optimism, as I said, among you
1: two. Mark, I'm gonna turn it over to you. You've been listening. I know you know both Phil and Liz very well and you know this work very well. So what have you heard today that really you would lift up as leadership lessons?
3: Well, Gretchen, first I want to say, I feel like you and I are super lucky to be able to spend time hanging out with folks like Liz and Jill and our other guests. It's really just such a privilege. I was reflecting about how we often talk about the importance, on the one hand, of of visioning, vision work in leadership effectiveness, Uh, but we also, on the other hand, talk about the importance of you know, delivering results, getting stuff done. And what I was hearing from both of you was how those things don't necessarily come in different packages, you know, in all of the, the tough realities of the last two years, and even the current day that we're in, you both seem to emphasize the importance of not letting that situation just go past without knowing what's over your horizon and the challenges that you face. But being able to connect that to the the reality that things are changing and your your optimism for change seems to be connected to your ability to uh, see those as opportunities to grow and achieve uh, outcomes that you want to see in the long term Uh, and that kind of emergent strategy as opposed to, hey, this stuff about diversity, equity, inclusion, this stuff about developing our workforce isn't another to-do that we eventually have to get around to. It's the, how do we build that into the reality of our day? Uh, and I mean, both just provided such great examples of that. Uh, but without rose colored glasses, I, I also appreciated that from the both of you, that, you know, this is hard work, it is not easy. Uh, and it's almost seems like your ability to be realistic about the reality that you're in uh, with your staff, but also, um, so I appreciated your, your ability to be clear about the realities of your members who are in frontier areas Liz, your recognition that there are folks who 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 like to be able to pick their kids up at the end of the day. Um, Not losing sight of those those important realities as you then craft this vision for the future. I was just really impressed by the way you both took that that dynamic creative approach to situations that are really hard and challenging so. Thank you both for joining us today.
1: Yes, thank you very much. And um, you often hear me at the end of these podcasts say, you know, continue to follow the Medicaid Leadership Exchange to learn more. But I'm also today going to say, please forward this podcast to anyone who might be interested in working in state government, because I think as Liz and Phil have uh, aptly displayed today, there are passionate, caring, committed folks who really are trying to to do do the work and be best in class. So um, we know many of our listeners already work in Medicaid agencies, but hopefully this would be another uh, marketing tool you could use for your friends, families, and neighbors um, to help them join the Medicaid program as an employee. So uh, thank you all. And we look forward to seeing you on the next Medicaid Leadership Exchange.
0: This podcast is a collaboration between the Center for Healthcare Strategies and the National Association of Medicaid Directors. Season three is made possible by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation.